coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. All right, and a happy weekend to you as we head into another, what should be, well, actually the first fall weekend of the year 2023. And weather-wise, it should be chef's kiss. Uh, so the big headline of the day, well, I think locally we'd have to talk about Senator John Ossoff coming out in favor of the need for a new Atlanta public safety training facility. Notice how I said a new Atlanta public safety training facility, not necessarily the proposed Atlanta public safety training facility. That's right. He did, as uh, the AJC characterized it, as stopping short of endorsing the $90 million proposed complex and uh, basically said where those facilities are is a decision for Atlanta. Oh, man, what a political answer. And, and I'm, not, I'm not giving him guff for that. I'm saying that is very much a political answer. An answer from someone who will obviously run for re-election in 2026 and someone who has been called out by his, we presume, uh, opponents, in the 2026 election cycle. His opponent being current governor, Brian Kemp, who last week on local talk radio was looking for people to stop, as he said it, hiding behind a referendum and coming out either in favor or in opposition to the Atlanta Public Safety Training Center at the heart of the Cop City discussion. Here he is with Mark Aram last week on WSB-FM and AM, this being... Governor Brian Kemp. I want to get you on, Governor. Uh, you tweeted out earlier this morning your thoughts on the Atlanta Public Safety Training Center. Obviously, it's been in the news for months and months. Uh, your thoughts on the, on the latest developments in that and and the, the whole process that's that's going forward right now? Well, I just wanted to make sure that people knew where I stood. I think there's a lot of politicians that are hiding behind, you know, a referendum versus saying whether they support our firefighters and our law enforcement and other first responders having good training facilities. I mean, to me, that's a no-brainer. It cuts across political lines. It shouldn't be a Republican issue or a Democratic issue, and I, quite honestly, I don't think it is. I think the broad public supports training law enforcement so that they're learning new techniques to keep themselves safe, to keep you know, people, uh, our citizens safe and doing things the right way. I know that's what the, the mayor and the the chief won't, and I'm certainly supportive of that. And I, I just think it's time for people to, to let their voice be heard and answer the question, <laughs> do you support the training center or not? And he's not talking about you and me, the Atlanta citizen voter. No, he's talking about politicians because he wants he wants this to become the partisan issue that he says and he swears that it's not. He wants to be able to say that it's going to be a pox on your house so that then folks can run against you and say, oh, you're not for security and safety in your community. Well, that answer is not going to please Governor Brian Kemp, but Senator John Ossoff did release a statement, which reads, Senator Ossoff fully supports new world-class training facilities for Atlanta law enforcement and first responders. Where those facilities are located is a decision for Atlanta. So that whole quixotic hiding behind a referendum speak from the governor is just eviscerated right then and there. Senator Ossoff both came out in favor of world-class, newer public safety training facilities for the city of Atlanta, but also said maybe the citizens of Atlanta should have a say in where 
that public safety training facility is built. See, Governor Kemp wants to make this a binary issue. You're either for a public safety training facility or you're not. And sorry, Governor, but that's not that's not what this is. This isn't about whether or not we are for properly trained police, fire, first responders, dispatchers. No, I, I think I think everyone would be for the best training possible. The question isn't an A B scenario. You're either for it or you're against it. No, that's not the that's not the case at all, sir. It's about where such a training facility would be and how much taxpayer dollars would be spent on it and where it would be located. See, there are, there are variables, right? It's not a, you're either pro-public safety training facility or anti-public safety training facility. There are nuances. Like, I've never, I don't think I've ever really said I'm pro-cop city or anti-cop city. Here's what I am. I'm actually for our law enforcement officers having a state-of-the-art, world-class training facility. I don't happen to think it needs to be on the particular plot of land that the Atlanta Police Foundation in the city of Atlanta, one owns it, the other leases it, even I'm confused by that, and then leasing it back. It's, it's, the, it's so murky. It's like, uh, there's somebody making some, there's somebody's on the take, right? That's, that's what it feels like. I could be wrong, but it just feels, like, why has it got to be so cumbersome? Mm-hmm. So, I'm for a world-class training facility for the city of Atlanta's police department, fire department, uh, EMS, first responders, et cetera, and so on. I am for that. I'm just not for it where they want to put it. And I think the reasons are numerous. One, it's uh, outside city limits. That's kind of weird. Uh, two, it's in an environmentally impacted area already and in a part of DeKalb County that is heavily person of color. I don't, I don't think this is an economic boost for that area. I also happen to think that trying to sugarcoat it with, we're going to put a park around it is sort of weird. Like I don't want to go walking, jogging, or taking a bike or my kids or the dog to a park next to a police shooting range or a fire department burn tower. That's not exactly a park that I think I'm going to want to go to very often. I've also pointed out how Fulton County wants to build a public safety training facility of their own. And by the way, such a facility for Fulton County, they estimate would cost $15 million, not 90, upwards of 100. Some estimates show the Atlanta public safety training facility needing to cost, but $15 million. Is it because there isn't the Atlanta Police Foundation, some non-governmental agency involved in that? I, again, that, that's, what, that's what makes me scratch my head and go, why is Atlanta going to cost so much more? Why is it outside city limits? Why is it in an environmentally impacted area surrounded by a lot of citizens of color who aren't, by the way, Atlanta residents? And why is it costing so much money? As Mark Aram on WSB put it before the governor last week, you know, this is it's such a unique issue, right? It's such a hot button issue. Um, people have been calling for more training for our our, our police uh, men and women, and and we finally have an area where they're going to get that advanced training. So you would think that this would have been a bipartisan support for this training center, giving the the police training that so many people have been calling for. Well, it's just a you know a small loud voices. Many of these activists don't even live in the state of Georgia. They keep moving the goalposts. You know they wanted the city council to act, so they acted. And, 
you know, now they didn't get what they wanted. The courts didn't give them what they wanted. So now they're asking for a referendum. And, you know, I just think it's time for political leaders to stand up and say, look, we need good training facilities for our men and women in law enforcement and for our, our firefighters. Uh, we have that in the state. We have that in other local communities. And we certainly should have that, in my opinion, in the city of Atlanta. And I think it's just it's really disappointing that people just won't simply say whether they're for this or not and and quit hiding behind a referendum. Again, the governor's not going to like Senator Ossoff's answer, which, again, I maintain is a very political answer because Senator Ossoff managed to dodge the assertion that he's going to be soft on crime by not being for public safety, training, and world-class facilities, while also not wandering into the realm of angering activists who are fighting such a facility specifically where it is. Now, don't get me wrong. I know there are some activists who don't want any sort of public safety training facility at all. And there's not going to be a happy medium for that kind of activist. Nothing shy of disbanding law enforcement altogether is going to please that kind of activist. And I readily admit, you, you, you cannot dialogue with that brand of activist. But the, uh, I would say majority of those who are opposed to the proposed Atlanta Public Safety Training Facility can be reasoned with when you say, you know what, we don't need to spend $90 million in Atlanta taxpayer dollars on a facility that's not even within city limits that impacts people of color, environmental racism, as Dr. Jackie Eccles pointed out yesterday on the show from the South River Watershed Alliance, that doesn't have an environmental negative impact as well. And what if, I don't know, just an idea here, we partnered with Fulton County and said, if you want to build a $15 million training facility, what if we decided to work together and pool our resources and build a $30 million training facility within Fulton and Atlanta, and do you not think the majority of those who are opposed to the current facility would be assuaged? Especially if you manage to avoid a negative environmental impact, you manage to avoid clear-cutting forest, you manage to avoid putting it in an area of the city and county where the nearby residents are mostly majority-minority and would be negatively impacted. I think this can be done. And if I'm doling out free advice, you know me, I'm about doling out free advice. I'm looking to Senator Ossoff and I'm saying, sir, I thought your answer was sort of a brilliant stroke politically, but you could say more. You could say, why don't we work together regionally, Atlanta and Fulton County at the very least. I mean, Henry County wants to build theirs too. There's some other communities. I think it's Dunwoody uh, wants to build something as well. Why don't we work regionally? There's also, by the way, the state facility that's like less than an hour's drive from Metro Atlanta. Uh, Anyway, why don't we work with Atlanta and Fulton County and save the taxpayers money? Oh, fiscal conservatives love that, right? That's a shot across Governor Kemp's bow, the presumed opponent for Senator Ossoff in 2026, and save 70-plus million dollars of Atlanta taxpayer money that could be put to other things, by the way. We do have other issues. We just had like some severe flooding from a three-hour deluge recently, right? And put this in an area of the city that 
is maybe already zoned for manufacturing or industrial or something along those lines and work with Fulton County and everybody's happy. Everybody would be happy, right? I mean, not the, not the ones that, you know, want to completely disband police uh, altogether. Again, you can't deal with that activist. So you, you just have to make 85, 90% of the citizens happy and just understand that that 10% is just never going to be happy. That's the sweet spot. Senator Ossoff, if you're listening. <laughs> Senator Warnock, if you're listening. God, Mayor Andre Dickens, are you listening? Eh, I just don't know. But that's the solution. So I suggest that Senator Ossoff's answer was pretty good. I'd give it a B minus. Could be an A plus, though. And it's not going to please Governor Kemp in any way, shape, form, or fashion. All right, more on show after this on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to the Ron Show for Friday. Saw this story, and it's not even a very political one. Hey, why not, right? And I love collaboration between enemies. University of Georgia and Georgia Tech working together. Uh, I saw this in uh, the UGA Today website at uga.edu back on, gosh, it's been about two weeks. September 7th, let's see here. Um, There is a little bit of a loss happening within the state of Georgia. The Georgia accent is going away. The most notable change the article cites uh, between the baby boomer generation and Gen X. That would be me. My parents' generation, I guess, were were boomers. Uh, Katie Cowart filed this story and spoke with Margaret Renwick, associate professor at UGA's Franklin College of Arts and Sciences Department who says, we found that here in Georgia, white English speakers' accents have been shifting away from the traditional Southern pronunciation for the last few generations. Today's college students don't sound like their parents, who didn't sound like their own parents. Article goes on to say that the researchers observed the most notable change between the baby boomer generation, born between 1943 and 64, and Gen X, born from 65 to 82, when the accent fell off a cliff. Professor Runwick said, we had been listening to hundreds of hours of speech recorded in Georgia, and we noticed that older speakers often had a thick Southern drawl, while current college students didn't. We started asking which generation of Georgians sound the most Southern of all. We surmised that it was baby boomers born around the mid-20th century. We were surprised to see how rapidly the Southern accent drops away, starting with Gen X. And by the way, as I'm reading this, <laughs> I'm trying to enunciate clearly. It's it's like subliminal, right? It's uh, and and here's the thing: I tell people all the time. I was born in the South. I am a native Georgian, born in Augusta, Georgia, raised in Columbia County, graduate of Harlem High School, 1992. But I don't know that I ever really had much of a Southern accent. Now, my sister, holy smokes, she's the only one I know that had three syllables for the for the number four. It was four, four. Yeah, it was at least four. Uh, for me, it was always four, I think. Uh, I don't have a recording of me as a child to, to go back and listen to this, but because I think, uh, and here's, here's what I'm guessing. I think because we grew up in a military town and my first two teachers in elementary school were African-American ladies who very much were the 
enunciation types. They very much enunciated their words. Mind your P's and Q's. Now, I will say, Miss Tolan, my first grade teacher, never could get my name right. It was not Ronnie. It was Runny. <laughs> so, it wasn't perfect. But even my third grade teacher, Miss Montgomery, who was a lovely blonde lady. I miss her. She was a nice lady. One of my favorites. Um, she was from Tennessee, but I don't... I remember she was a big Tennessee Vols fan, but I don't think she had much of a Southern accent. Either. Although, I, I may be wrong. She may have had it. In any event, I grew up in a military town just outside of Fort Gordon. And I think because... The students that I grew up alongside also weren't necessarily all from the South. I didn't develop an accent in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Back to the article. The UGA Georgia Tech team is the first to identify the accent shift in Georgia. And congrats, by the way, to Georgia and Tech working together on something. The demographics of the South have changed a lot with people moving into the area, especially post-World War II according to co-author John Forrest, UGA assistant professor in the Department of Linguistics. Forrest noted that what the researchers see in Georgia is part of a shift noted by others across the entire South, and furthermore, other areas of the U.S. now have similar vowel patterns. Forrest says, we are seeing similar shifts across many regions, and we might find people in California, Atlanta, Boston, and Detroit that have similar speech characteristics. Back to the article, the analysis was carried out with recordings of white individuals native to Georgia, born from the late 19th century to the early 2000s. The researchers focused on the way the recorded speakers pronounced vowels. The team found that older Georgians pronounced the word prize as pras. And for the record, I'm not sure like if I were made to act a part in a movie or a play that I could do the fake Southern accent. That's the, that's the one thing we all take offense to when we watch movies, those of us born in the South. When we watch movies and, and actors and actresses who aren't from the South, especially when they're from another country, like the Australians and the British, like the Walking Dead cast is all Aussie and British, right? And they've got that Southern accent, and it's a little bit much. I guess what I'm saying is, I'm not sure I, even I could pull it off. So, Older Jordans pronounce the word prize as pras, and face as face. But the youngest speakers use praise and face. Okay, I don't know if you hear the difference. Uh, former UGA graduate student and co-author Joseph A. Stanley, now an assistant professor at Brigham Young University, implemented the statistical modeling. Wow, this is fascinating. Using transcribed audio, we can use a computer to estimate where you put your tongue in your mouth when you pronounce each vowel, which gives us a quantitative metric of accent, said Le uh, Lilia Glass, assistant professor in the School of Modern Languages at Georgia Tech. Marcus Ma, a Georgia Tech undergraduate student working with Glass, devised a tool to streamline the transcription process. By the way, I will share this article in today's show notes at ronshowatl.com. It really goes down this rabbit hole. In fact, I, I learned a word today that I don't think I ever knew, uh, which was diphthong, which by definition is something to do with, uh, or, or also a gliding vowel, a combination of two adjacent vowel sounds within the same syllable. Now, technically, it says here, a diphthong is a vowel with two different targets. That is, the tongue moves during the pronunciation of the vowel. I'm completely blown away by the meaning of that, but uh, nonetheless, this is all pretty fascinating stuff. So, the study, which was entitled Boomer Peak or Gen X Cliff, from SVS to LBMS, in Georgia English, is now, of course, in the current issue of the journal Language Variation, 
and change. Congrats to those two schools on collaborating on that study. It just makes me think of uh, two phrases. <laughs> Boy, you don't sound like you from around these parts. And, uh, well, we do things differently around here. See, maybe, I, I don't know, is that, if you're a Southerner with an accent, are you insulted that I even did those two lines? And and bear in mind, I'm a card-carrying Georgian. Like, I grew up, I was born in this state, I grew up in this state. I just don't think I ever really had the accent. I get that all the time for folks. Are you from here? Are you sure you're from? Am I sure I'm from here? Uh, yeah, no, I'm pretty sure I'm from here. Speaking of acting and accents, the Out on Film Atlanta LGBTQ Film Festival kicked off last night, runs through October 1st. We will talk more about that, which I think is sort of fascinating in and of itself because sometimes you can tell when you talk to someone that they are LGBTQ plus just by the way they talk too, right? I mean, it's not always a tell. It's not always 100% foolproof, but... Uh, anyway, a conversation worth having. We'll talk more about Out on Film next break here on The Ron Show, the American One Radio app, AmericanRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Broadcasting five days a week to make common sense common again. This, this is The Ron Show on America One Radio. So this is the start. Actually, last night was the start of the 36th anniversary of the Atlanta Out on Film Festival. It is Atlanta's LGBTQ plus film festival, and it runs through October 1st. More information at outonfilm.org. Last night, by the way, the debut of the movie Our Son. That was uh, the feature last night. I really hate I missed this, too. It stars uh, Billy Porter and Luke Evans. Think of it as a modern-day gay version of Kramer versus Kramer. The uh, inscription in the program reads, In director Bill Oliver's extraordinary new film, sort of a gay Kramer versus Kramer, a divorcing couple, played by Emmy winners Billy Porter and Luke Evans, fight over the custody of their eight-year-old son after they decided to part ways. Uh, the description goes on. A beautiful supporting cast, including Andrew Ronellis, Felicia Rashad, and Robin Weigert, give weight to this evenly balanced and humane look at modern-day gay life and starting anew. And so, upon reading just the description of this movie that I missed, by the way, it hit me. This is about representation. I mean, it's always been about representation for the LGBTQ plus in theater as it is for any marginalized minority, whether it be the African-American, whether it be the Asian-American or the Native American, et cetera, and so on. Make no mistake, Hollywood has come a long way at providing more representation for all the subsets of human culture. We've come a long way from John Wayne playing someone from Asia, right? One of the biggest problems I had when I was coming out, and this was the early 1990s, was that I never really felt like I saw represented on the big screen or small screen or in pop culture period someone that I related to. I don't, at the time, in my mind, feel like I fit the stereotype. And the stereotype back then was the overtly hand-flapping while they're talking, hand-on-hip, sassy stereotype that came with gay men at the time. I think the most prominent gay person or gay people in pop culture at the time might have been Elton John and George Michael, I guess. And then you had the the, the bit role actors and folks on uh, the game shows. <laughs> Again, just the over-the-top 
not quite what I felt like suited me. And, and even with this film, this movie that I'm uh, just describing to you right now, that, again, I missed. I hate I missed it. We're, we're talking about a divorced same-sex couple and dealing with the repercussions of their splitting while having an eight-year-old son. Now, I don't have a child. I do have two cats. And would you believe that my ex-husband and I have a joint custody agreement with our two cats? I mean, I could sit here and go on and on about how, uh, you know, who chose the divorce and who should move on and who should leave the pets behind and stop doing it. Like, I, trust me, anybody that knows me knows that I've had this internalization for a couple of years now. But um, suffice to say, representation. My life, or something similar to my life, represented in Out on Film. And that is the importance of the Atlanta Out on Film Festival. And there are dozens of movies that are going to be shown between now and October 1st at various theaters and screenhouses throughout Metro Atlanta. And by the way, can I just tell you, I, I knew Billy Porter was gay. Duh. In fact, I think he's going through a divorce himself, actually. Unless I got the headlines wrong and that just had something to do with the movie. But I didn't remember, I may have known this before, but I forgot, completely forgot, that his co-actor in this movie, Luke Evans, is also gay. In fact, he came out a long time ago kind of quietly back in like 2002 and it sort of became media fodder in 2014 when he started uh, appearing in higher profile movies and TV shows here in the US. Uh, he was in the uh, Dracula Untold movie then and The Hobbit and one of the Fast and the Furious movies. Uh, what was the th first thing I think I saw him? Maybe The Girl in the Train? I don't know. Well, no, he was in a few of these Fast and Furious. Well, you know what? I've never seen those. Uh <laughs> Maybe one of the few people that's never seen those movies. Uh, yeah, he was in those. Uh, what's the thing that I think I've seen him? Oh, Echo 3. That uh, series that Netflix, is it? or uh, No, I think it was on Apple TV+. Plus. Great, great series. And he doesn't play a gay character in that. And I think even that is a piece of representation because we've known plenty of actors and actresses who played gay roles and had a hard time being represented uh, in casting, playing as gay actors and actresses, gay characters. And Luke, obviously, has had several roles where he plays someone who's not gay. I mean, that's, again, even that's representation. That's an accomplishment in and of itself. I'm going through the pamphlet, the uh, Out on Film Festival booklet, and I'm just struck by the diversity of story and genre even. There is a, an international uh, night as well. I want to say, that, yeah, here we have the uh, Around the World is uh, tonight, starting at 5 o'clock, by the way, at the uh, Midtown Art Cinema. Quick, you can still make it. You've got movies from China and Spain, the United Kingdom. Oh, good, no subtitles. Uh, Israel, two from Israel, actually. Uh I do have a, I have a hard time with subtitles. It's not because I don't like international movies. I'm just an older person who can't see as well as I used to, and uh, I'm not even a book reader. So uh, <laughs> if I go to the movies, I'm reading the movie, and I'm supposed to be focusing on the picture at the same time. Uh, let's see what else. I want to say that there was even another 
uh, was it horror movies? Or was it, there's horror movies, there's comedies, there's the world premiere, the uh, documentary, A Big Gay Hairy Hit. <clears throat> Getting a furball just talking about this. Where the Bears Are, the documentary. And I'm even looking at a dude who's uh, in one of the photos for one of the promo photos for this. He he works at Wolf's, the uh, the gay sports bar here in Atlanta. I recognize him. I don't know his name, but I, I know that he works. See, this is all about representation, and that is so important, y'all. It, it's it's hard to it's hard to even put into words how momentous that is. I'm trying to think what year it was, and I remember it was New Orleans, the real world season in New Orleans. I want to say it was '92, maybe '93. I remember I was in college, and I was struck by the fact that for the first time that I think I can remember, I was 19, y'all, 18, 19 years old. I remember seeing someone who, by the way, wasn't an actor. He was a reality TV star, I guess, on the real world in New Orleans, who was uh, a white guy from the South, actually Georgia. We could be related. We have the same last name. Uh, From Northwest Georgia, now that I think about it, and my Dad had an Uncle Buford that lived up. So I, Danny and I could be friends. That's what I'm saying. Uh, or, or cousins. Um, Danny Roberts from Real World New Orleans was the first person that I saw in pop culture in any way, shape, form, or fashion that I felt like I could somehow relate to. Because he wasn't the kind of person you could, how do they say it, clock. That's a, that's a term. You know how somebody clocks you as being gay. Well, I clocked you. You couldn't tell because Danny didn't have, again, and I I hate to slip into generalizations and stereotypes, but he didn't have the stereotypical gay speech pattern that you can sometimes hear from someone. Um, I think about my my mom's hairstylist, and he cut my hair a few times too, Randy. Like, I love Randy, love Tim, great people, and I'm glad to hear Tim, by the way, I uh, was scared about another cancer diagnosis this week, and it turned out to be not that, so I'm grateful for that. Randy and Tim are, are friends of the family, and I'm, I'm grateful to uh, hear that they're doing well. Anyway, when Randy and Tim talked, I mean, it was hard not to know. And, and, and bless them. I love them. I mean, that, that, that's, you know, no tea, no shade. Uh, you hear somebody say, tea, no tea, no shade, you know. They, they're part of us. Anyway, uh, Danny from Real World New Orleans wasn't someone you could easily clock. He didn't fit the the speech pattern. He didn't walk a certain way or wasn't overly handsy with his talk. You know, we can do that. We we I, I can say that because I'm one of us. We can do that, you know. Um, he wasn't the sassy, hand on hip, finger wag. He just, he was just a dude who, oh, by the way, happened to have a boyfriend who was in the military. And here I was. At this point in my life, I don't think I had any boyfriends in the military, but I did date people in the military because they were guys. I was a guy and I just, so that's, that's, think about that. My entire childhood, I don't believe I ever saw anyone in pop culture, big screen, small screen, sport or otherwise, who I felt like was sort of representative of who I was. And you have to understand the psychological impact that has on someone, not just to not see the representation, but to eventually see or feel the representation. It's why having a new version of the Little Mermaid, who was a mermaid of color, and listen, the silliness of anyone arguing about what color a mermaid should be, (laughs) it's just 
asinine, right? Like, who cares? Who cares? But you have to know the impact of little girls, little girls of color, seeing a mermaid that they related to. It's it's why the Barbie movie, right? It's why Barbie was introducing dolls of various color, you know, after a certain number of times. Not only is it good for the business, you bring yourself to another market, but it's really good societally. It's good for that girl of color. And I occasionally talk with Danny Roberts on social media and have tried to impart to him how important, and I think he gets it. In fact, I think he is overwhelmed by how much he gets it from society on the whole, from at least a gay male, a gay white male perspective, how much he gets it. Uh, Because he's actually a pretty private individual now. He's, you know, popped up a few times, reunion shows and this, that, and the other. And he does speak from time to time on social media, and he's he's done occasional, uh, like TED Talk kind of stuff. But I think I think he I think he actually was overwhelmed for a while by the realization that he represented an entire chunk of the American population that had never felt represented before. And by the way. Not to leave anyone out, but I want to mention that the Out on Film Festival isn't just a sausage party. It's not a not a boys club thing. There are uh, uh, same-sex uh, female uh, movies as well. There is uh, a documentary called, in her words, 20th Century Lesbian Fiction. There's even screenplay readings. There is a Latin Extraordinary Night uh, a week from tomorrow. At the uh, Outfront Theater, there is uh, as well Saturday at the Outfront Theater, Trans World Atlanta. There's even a local night. Uh, there's going to be some uh, some some local uh, filmmakers who will be spotlighted. There are comedy shorts and drama shorts. There's a lot. There's even the uh, Atlanta Journal Constitution's uh, "The Dancer: The Beautiful and Tragic Life of Gerard Alexander." Uh, that came out earlier this year. It's 35 minutes. Uh, that will be Sunday, October 1st at 4 o'clock. Uh, just so much and uh, so much representation for so many uh, divergent communities just within the LGBTQ+. I cannot stress enough uh, how uh, impactful representation is on the screen. And also, to be honest, with so few good movies coming out because of the actors and writers strike, I mean, I was listening to an interview today on NPR that spoke to that. Uh, it's it's going to be it's going to be a, a tough couple of years. A lot of a lot of film releases are being pushed back. So this is an opportunity for some of these uh, indie movies and projects to get our attention and grab our dollar. And who knows when the next high profile star? I keep thinking of Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, who were a couple of a couple of schlubs who wrote a movie and somehow it got Hollywood's attention. And next thing you know, Robin Williams is acting in it and we have generational icons now in the film industry in those two. And they came up through the independent process. You could see that budding star uh, between now and October 1st at the out on film 
Atlanta LGBTQ Plus Film Festival. Again, more information at outonfilm.org. One last segment of The Ron Show after this on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, wherever you podcast. Final segment of The Ron Show for the week. Happy weekend to you, by the way. So I just got done talking about representation and how much it matters for anyone, really, whether you're a white man or white woman, women, African-American men, African-American women, anyone of color, Southeast Asians, Asian-American community in particular, uh, Native American, the LGBTQ+. <laughs> and then I see this. It's got to be a slow news week in uh, the right-wing outrage media machine when Fox News today is reporting on a two-year-old Braun Razor advertisement. The headline, God, Braun Razor's under fire after ad featuring trans man with surgery scars resurfaces. Braun said the image is one of hundreds on its website and, quote, reflective of the consumers we serve. And I'm reading, by the way, from Fox News. An ad for shaving razor company Braun is taking fresh heat on social media after users noticed it featured a trans male model with double mastectomy scars shaving their beard. Conservative commentators on social media ripped the brand. (laughs) Better two years late than never, right, kids? Anyway, they ripped the brand, a subsidiary of Procter & Gamble. Love how they slid that into the story. Can affect the stock price uh, this week, claiming it is quote celebrating the mutilation cult of gender. Some users also advocated for giving the brand the Bud Light treatment, referring to the boycott that hit the beer over its association with trans influencer Dylan Mulvaney. Well, okay, two problems with that. One, um, Braun users don't go out and buy bronze in near the repetitious manner that they will. Cases of beer. Um, two, who's going to like throw away their sixty to one hundred twenty dollar brawn in outrage over this, and then go shell out even more money to buy another one? Right? I mean, beer's replaceable. I'm not saying your brawn isn't, but it's not it's not cheap beer. So uh, the article continues. The controversial image was recently found. That's right, because they're looking. Found among promotional images on Braun's website, it depicted what initially appeared to be a male model shaving, but a closer look reveals the subject to be a biological woman who had a double mastectomy. The horrors. In the image, there were double mastectomy scars on the model's breasts while shaving facial hair with what was reported to be the Braun Series X hybrid trimmer. (laughs) A spokesperson for Proctor and Gamble, can you imagine taking that call, told Fox News Digital that the image represents real brawn consumers. They said, quote, notice how they go, they said. You picked up on that too? They said, quote, this is one of hundreds of images on our site showing people using our products, all of which are a reflection of the consumers we serve. Critics slammed Braun on social media platform X, we call it Twitter, after seeing the image. Canadian conservative activist Chris Elston, also known as Billboard Chris, commented on the photo saying, Braun is now celebrating the mutilation cult of gender. 
conservative commentator Ian Miles Chung observed that Braun has gone the way of Gillette and Bud Light, referencing two companies that included trans people in their marketing in recent years and suffered significant backlash for it. Canadian psychologist and author Dr. Jordan Peterson echoed Chung's claim, posting, quote, At Braun is looking hard for its at Budweiser moment. Peterson shared another post asking, Hey, do you woke scumrats at Braun think this evil butchery is some kind of fashion statement? This is Mengele-level brutality, and you think that it's moral to capitalize on it? British anti-trans surgery activist Oli London posted, Braun features a transgender biological female with double mastectomy scars in their new shaving advert for their men's shaving range. Maya Forstater, the executive director of activist group Sex Matters, blasted Braun in a recent statement to UK outlet The Telegraph, stating, Braun executives must have been living under a rock if they think that this campaign represents inclusivity. The reality is that Braun has now written itself into history as promoting social contagion in what will become one of the most notorious medical scandals. Man, pardon my friends, but holy f***ing shit. These people are angry. They're so angry that when they're not angry, they're looking for something to be angry about. We need to be trolling websites and looking for images that even years ago might have been trans-inclusive so that we can be outraged about it and give some other brand the Budweiser treatment. Yeah, pitchforks. No, not, not, not near the computer. You might melt the screen. By the way, the model's not a teenager. The model's an adult. That model made an adult decision to accept himself for who he always believed he was. Who is, who is this model harming? No one. The model, the model just took a job and said, okay, yeah, I'll do this. And there's, there's not even the subtlest of subtle pushes to promote being transgender to anyone. It's a shaving ad. And here's how subtle any notion of this being pro-transgender is. These anti-trans activists didn't pick up on it two years ago. Somebody, probably not even them, just happened upon it and sent it to one of these outraged generators and said, <gasps> look at this, look at this. You've got to get outraged about this. And that person said, <gasps> How did we miss this? Oh my God. Quick, log into X. This is why I never want to hear any complaints from the right about the division in this country and society on the whole. I just don't want to hear them complain about it. They blame wokeness for making them angry. They blame being angry for being marginalized and taking to the streets and being active to combat marginalization for their, in turn, being angry at being called out for any participation they have in being marginalized. I mean, and, and again, when you got to go trolling through company websites to look for advertising of any form, where someone who is trans may have been slipped into a commercial or a campaign to get outraged, 
you really need to consider getting a hobby and a life. Spend time with your family. Log off. God's sakes. I mean, you're pro-family after all, right? It's going to do it for the Ron Show. Back Monday, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app, americonradio.com, or wherever you podcast. Have a great weekend.